I am Mary Ellis. You'd never know it, but you've actually had a card from Her Majesty the Queen. They must have got something wrong. (laughs) No, I'm I'm quite elderly. But you look very fit and very happy. (laughs) And you've had an extraordinary life. I have indeed. Flying lessons. You've always wanted to fly. And I know that way back, um, your paths crossed in a way with my father because you had a ride, I believe, with... um, you yes. you saw Alan Cobham's Flying Circus, yes. which was about 1928. What impression did that make on you? Well, nothing really, uh, because I was already uh, thinking about wanting to fly. And so I liked being with people that knew how to fly these machines. And inspired me. Because I know a few years later you went on Concorde, which was an entirely different experience. Yes, very different. Yes, it was. I enjoyed every second on Concorde. And you came back from Saudi Arabia? That's right. Yes, I did. With my husband. Mm. And what was that experience like? That was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, I went up front with the captain flying the aeroplane and he was such a nice man it was super flying has changed quite a lot since 1937 when you got your was it that long ago you actually got your private pilot license extraordinary isn't it 38 I think it was it's a long time ago Mm. (laughs) I was just a school girl then did you ever think that you'd end up as the, the Spitfire girl no, in my wildest thoughts, I never ever thought I would fly military aircraft. It was not a woman's job to fly aeroplanes. So it's extraordinary that I was chosen to do this work. You must have had a certain something about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, or was it just luck? <laughs> No, I don't think my life has been luck. It's been something more than that, much more. I've been well looked after from everyone. But everybody that, you know, these days, people take no responsibility for what they did. And in the old days, and particularly before, well, during the war, you had to, didn't you? Everybody pulled together. Yes, that's right. But with with flying, and I was with the other girls, we were all flying different aeroplanes and uh, quite often that three or four different aeroplanes in one day so it was terrific you never really had a lot of tuition in these other planes did you because once you got your license and you were used to flying um, they just gave you a a note of the, the, the characteristics of the plane and said there you are, mate. Get on with it. <laughs> well, uh, you make it sound easy. It wasn't quite like that because one had to learn how to fly these fast aeroplanes with no aids. We didn't have any radio. All we had was a map, and so we had to manage with that. And very often the weather was absolutely appalling, wasn't it? Uh, we were never told to fly when we 
didn't want to fly and therefore any weather which we thought was not reasonable. Each person had their idea of what they wanted to fly in this weather and so it was up to the person themselves to choose whether they flew or whether they stayed on the ground. There was no great pleasure in flying and breaking an aeroplane. And you took a pride in what you did and you knew very well that the aircraft were were wanted very badly because in the time when they were building the Spitfires and it was the Battle of Britain, we were losing so many aircraft, weren't we? Yes. Actually, I did manage to fly 400 different Spitfires, which is quite a lot, you know. Mm. <laughs> I got to know them quite well. But then I also flew bombers as well. And so I would step out of a fighter into a bomber and fly it. Just like that. I mean, even a British Airways pilot these days wouldn't be expected to do that. No, that's true. But there was a war on. Mm. And we had been taught very efficiently by the Air Transport Auxiliary. So we were safe pilots on our own. You've been to a lot of airfields, particularly in, in Hampshire, where we are. Um, I didn't know that there was an airfield Marwell. Yes, I, I did fly in and out of Marwell. I flew Spitfires and I was second pilot in the Halifax, so I got to know Marwell quite well. How did that occur? Because what was happening there? I know that the Spitfires, the production was spread throughout the county of Hampshire in various different places. What did Marwell have to do with it? Well, there was an awful lot of bombing around, as you know. And so there were certain places which were not able to be seen by the enemy and Marwell happened to be camouflaged so well by trees. Mm. So that was why it was there that we flew. Well, I've been going by it for decades and mm. until I read in your book, I didn't know it was there. <laughs> it's still there. Still there. Well, I think there's probably uh, a small hangar which is now used for agricultural yes. purposes. But you wouldn't know. wouldn't know otherwise. No, I, I actually, whilst I was flying, I w went to uh, way over 200 different uh, fields and places where I took aeroplanes. And um, I also flew 76 different types of aeroplanes. Mm -hmm many of which uh, have long since disappeared and no one knows anything. The Spitfire was, was, a, a, was really an unforgiving aircraft, wasn't it? You, it was a good aeroplane to fly, but was it difficult at times? No, the Spitfire was absolutely wonderful. It could fly itself, and if you just wanted to move the stick, it would moved the aeroplane. It was absolutely divine, really. It was marvellous. I, I can't tell you just how wonderful it was. But there was the one with the Merlin engine and later the one with the Griffin engine. And they were two complete different aeroplanes. As I remember you saying in your book about 
um, the plane when it when you shut down the plane. I was trying to think. I don't normally refer to notes, but there was something you said. The Spitfire um, feels strong, sure, and content with me. That was when you went to South Marston, and a short, sharp pinging sound creaked out from the cylinders. The Merlin engine stopped at Lynham. You know, it, it, your book actually brings it out very well. <laughs> you think so? Oh, I think so. Um, I'm glad you do. Yeah, and you've got a great association with Hamble, because Hamble was the British Airways, uh, I knew as British Airways training base. Uh, yes, it was number 15 ferry pool, and there were um, 15 to 20 of us girls there. And we did a very good job during the war. And as we progressed, so we flew different aeroplanes. We never, never had any help from radio. We were not able to use radio because it would block these people coming back from fighting. So we were on our own. It was a great skill, wasn't it? It was indeed, it was. Some people, my sister, for example, she can go into Romsey in Hampshire, which you probably know, and yes. she can get completely and utterly lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you never got lost. I mean, I'm no good at mathematics, and we've all got our strengths and our weaknesses. But was there something in your head like a, you know, that, that really made it more easy for you to find your way, although there was skill in navigation? No, I quite often got lost. But... Um, by that time, I knew uh, where the forests were and where the big towns were, and uh, I could find out exactly where I was and then go on again. But the um, uh, the one aeroplane I thought I would be finding it difficult was the meteor, and I flew the meteor, and it, I had no instructions. And this is the first time I'd ever seen one because it had no propellers. And so I said to the <laughs> pilot, test pilot, I can't fly it without propellers. And he said, of course you can. <laughs> well, you reminded me of something. My adoptive father um, was on the war ag, and for some reason it was a restricted, you know, one of these posts where they didn't, you know, he had to stay on the land. Um, and he was in, in charge of Italian prisoners down near Meanstoke in, in the Mean Valley, outside of Petersfield. And he distinctly remembers the Italians being absolutely petrified when this plane came along with no propellers. It was a meteor. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. So how, how, did you, how did you cope with all that? I mean, is there a basic characteristic, you know, of planes that, you know, you can... It's not that easy, is it? Uh, well, when you're, when you're flying every day for a long time, mm. it becomes easier. And because we had no radio, one could see the ground as it was all the time. But it was difficult in the south because we had the buzz bombs around and one had to be careful when you saw a buzz bomb not to go near it. Mm. And you saw those from time to time? Yes, we did. Mm. But the, one of the other hazards was the balloons. 
you know, when the Germans were coming over, these balloons Paris would balloons. go up in the air and stay up there. And uh, uh, we had to make sure to keep out of the area when they were flying up in the clouds. Mm. That, that was also difficult. I met one of your other colleagues very briefly in, in 2005, Lettuce Curtis, oh, yes. another wonderful lady pilot. Um, and that was over at um, Middle Wallop where they had a, a lunch. I don't know whether you were there at that particular one, but um, it was, you know, she, she also was flying four engined and one of the few or one of the first to do that as well, wasn't she? Yes, she was. She, I think she was the very first. Mm. But what I could tell of her, just meeting her once, a lady of great determination as well. Hmm? Great determination she had and ability. Mm. I think all of us had at that time, otherwise we wouldn't be here now. But well, unfortunately there's not many left. That's true. And uh, uh, anyway, 14 of us girls lost their lives. Because the general public, I suppose, weren't aware that, p that all these planes had to be delivered. They had no idea what you were doing at the time. They had no idea at all. And uh, the only way we were distinguished from uh, land girls was our uniform, I think, when we arrived in here. But you, you also went over to Worthydown, yeah. and Laurence Olivier was posted there, I believe, as well. Did you ever meet him? Yeah. Sir Laurence Olivier. I, no, I didn't meet him. No, he, he was posted there as well. Well, that was going for many years. Um, yes, I went to, I did fly into Worthy Down several times. And we had to cross a road, main road, into a field to put the aeroplanes there, which was quite exciting, you know, <laughs> stopping the traffic to fly across. Yeah. So, taxi across, rather. You'd also mentioned in your book Chatters Hill. Yes. That was where they assembled some of the... Was it all of them or some uh, of them? That was another of these places that was hidden in the woods. Mm. Spitfires. Yep. Yes. Because I know that the production... There was some at Hursley, Hursley Park, being built, or at least they were manufacturing the wings or one part. Will Short's garage in Southgate Street in Winchester was another. Another one was in... Um, Chandler's Ford and they all brought them together presumably they were then um, completed at Eastleigh presumably I, I wouldn't know you flew a lot from Eastleigh didn't you yes I flew an awful lot from Eastleigh yes I did mm. it was most enjoyable then in 1941 I seem to remember there was a, an appeal for women pilots um, on the BBC, and that prompted you also to take up, see if you could do it. Well, I had learned to fly, had my licence before then, and suddenly I heard this appeal on the radio, because by that time there was no more civil flights, and so I thought that was the end of my flying. But, as we all know, it wasn't quite the end. It was the beginning, actually. <laughs> so you must have spent very long hours in the air. I mean, what happens if things started to go wrong? Because you were you were absolutely intent on delivering them, and did th things must have gone wrong from time to time? Yes, Get they scripts. did. But the, the thing was, if they were 
uh, behaving as they should, some of these aeroplanes, we had to put down at an RAF station and report. And so uh, we would leave the aeroplane there and the taxi aeroplane would come and pick me up. I once flew over the New Forest and the engine stopped and so I had no alternative but to put the aeroplane down safely, which fortunately I was able to do and that was great. That, that was the, the big hotel there. What's it called? Not the Balmer Lawn. Yes. Was it? It was the Balmer Lawn. There's a flat areas there, aren't there? Near, near Bro- just north of Brockenhurst. There's, yeah, and there was a little field there, mm. which I managed to put the aeroplane down. I must go back to Balmer Lawn one day. It's still there. Yes, I, I believe it's remade. Yes, you know, you know all of these Hampshire airfields in a different context. I mean, all I know about Thruxton is that I used to come through a little hole in... Well, there was a big hole in the fence. We could bring the car in. I used to learn to drive there. <laughs> yeah, and recently you had another chance to go up in the spit, that famous occasion a couple of years or so ago. Yes, when the three of us were around here and... the we were being interviewed and a film was made and then to my surprise the pilot said I have come especially to take Mary Ellis in the Spitfire and I was thrilled to death to think how lovely it would be in the Spitfire again and I was uh, we went off with it eventually and then he said "Um, would you like to fly and I said Oh, yes. And he said, it's all yours. And so I flew around for a while, and that really was excellent. It was such an oh, oh, the opportunity to fly a Spitfire again. Yes. <laughs> I, I know a few years ago there was a um, 70th anniversary, I think, or 65th or 70th anniversary Spitfire, and Alex Henshaw was at Southampton, and they took him up as well. Did they really? Mm. And I bet he enjoyed it too. Mm. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a very small world. I mean, you had Joy Lofthouse, um, you had her sister, was it Yvonne? And they were both, I think they were about the only uh, two sisters who flew Spitfires, yeah, basically. Joy was at Hamble, but her sister was up at Cosford, so they weren't together. Well, they both flew Spitfires, I think, didn't they, at different times? Yes, everybody flew Spitfires. Yeah. (laughs) But people, it's sad in a way, because a few years ago, um, the Lancaster came over the centre of Winchester, and nobody looked up. Well... They don't remember them anymore. No. You know, we owe so much to these planes, and to the people like yourself who flew them. How do you feel about that? It's sad, isn't it? I keep saying it's sad, because you look back, and things do change. Yes, an ever-changing world. Mm-hmm. It is. What do you most miss about those days? Well, uh, life goes on all the time, you know, and you miss one thing, but then suddenly something else turns up, and so you're never missing, really, anything. What do you like to do with your time these days when you're not flying? Oh, that's secret. Ha, 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 ha.
you you were shot at by ACAC guns coming over Bournemouth. That was a bit unfair, wasn't it? Well, the weather was not very good, and the ground crew presumably didn't know whether I was a Spitfire or whether I was an enemy. They shot at me, and it wasn't a very interesting experience either. So I turned around very quickly and beetled off in another direction. (laughs) You mentioned something in your book about a pound uh, being worth a lot of money. Um, And in those days it was. People don't know the value of money these days, do they? They No. There seems to be always plenty of money around. But during the wartime, one didn't mention about money at all. And I suppose it was really the camaraderie that kept everybody together mm. because it was a very trying time, wasn't it? And it was we we were up against it. Mm. Yes, that's right. I think perhaps if there hadn't been us girls flying the Spitfires, we might easily have lost the war because there was kind of uh, at one time and it was very close. And I know an awful lot of Spitfire pilots died because they were fighting. But we had to supply more Spitfires for more people to go fighting. And that's what turned the war. Did you ever meet Dowding and people like that who were in control? No. Because they they were really reluctant to allow women to fly at all, weren't they? Which is an awful attitude if you think about it. But then things were so different. Yes, they were. Mm. And you did quite a lot to change that in your way, didn't you? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because aircraft like Lancaster's and the big four-engine jobs were very noisy, and they, when you, if you were presumably, did you go that high? Because you, you were flying fairly low, presumably. But when you got higher, it got very cold as well. <laughs> Didn't fly that high. (laughs) Just missing the steeples. In the middle of winter, it was very cold flying uh, most aeroplanes. But then we didn't go on long flights. But when you did go up to Scotland, did you do it in one hump? Uh, Going up to Scotland, yes. Mm. Um, One had to put down to refuel in several places. And um, going from... Um, Cowley to Prestwick was quite a long journey and I remember once it took me three days to get to Prestwick and then um, I was told to get the uh, uh, night train back to London to get my back to uh, White Waltham and I, I did that and the next day, lo and behold, I had to do almost the same trip in a different aeroplane. So that was much better, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I yes, remember... But it, it, wa- it wasn't very nice on the night train and going, going into London. And once I couldn't get uh, the night train to stop when I wanted it to and so I had to go into London and I stayed the night 
and uh, there I was on the platform with uh, all these other people. Was and I felt sorry for these people. <laughs> was that during the bombing? Yes, mm. it was. Life was very difficult at that time, wasn't it? You had to make uh, your own fun, and you didn't really know what was going to happen, did you? No, that's right. We And this flying, we never knew from one day to the next what we were going to fly because we never knew um, when we got to the airfield what the weather was going to be. And then they would give us the information they wanted us to fly. But until that time, we didn't have an hour's notice. Mm. It was extraordinary. When I, when I think of it, you know, there, there's a, your chitty saying, fly this aeroplane, which i never, never seen before. And I had to do that. And it was extraordinary when I think about it. <laughs> and then you think about today and something they call health and safety. <laughs> it's rather different now. Uh, to, to, to break away a bit, um, everything is instruction manuals, health and safety. And when you go to Thailand, and all these elephants and a mahout just gets hold of the elephant's ear, up comes the leg, one, two, three. Now today, they'd write an instruction manual for that, wouldn't they? Mm. What do you think of that? That's the fiction of somebody's mind. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought I wrote that down. All right. You've had an enjoyable time. Well, I say enjoyable. I mean, it, it, it's more an accomplishment, isn't it? When you think of all those different types that you've flown, uh, Captain, it was Eric Winkle Brown. He had quite a a large number of different planes, but I mean it's extraordinary that you were called upon to fly all those different sorts, and they're all part of British aviation history. Hampshire plays a a proud part in that. Well, we were well trained by the ATA, otherwise we couldn't do it, and uh, qu quite a lot of people tried to get into ATA but they failed because they were not the COs said they're not the sort of person that will fit in mm. Mo most of them were I suppose wanted to go and fly and have fun but it, that's not what it was about the unseen patriots of the country basically because you, you, you everybody saw the Spitfire pilots and thought they were wonderful, but they didn't realize about the other people, the ground people, the people who were building them, people like yourself who were delivering them, and very often, more often than not, under very trying circumstances. Yes, well, life was very different then. Would you like to go back to those days in, in some ways? Not the wartime, but the actual <laughs> flying? <laughs> Well, I, I, I couldn't do now what I did then. But in your mind, you, you think, oh, oh, I'd love to do that. No, I have wonderful memories of everything, and my mind is as clear as clear. I can tell that. So it's wonderful. So the question that everybody must say, I suppose, is what do you attribute a long and healthy life for, 
to and, and you know ultimately happiness isn't it yes I suppose well I, I, I can't I'm just a healthy life I was born in a farm a house which was marvellous which used to be King John's palace and so that set me off on a good level mm. and uh, I have enjoyed um, a very good life. One thing I do remember I suppose um, latterly, well latterly, 40 years ago, everything tends to be a few years ago, is that Sandown was the only airport on the island that actually had commercial aircraft and there was a Dakota used to come down from the Midlands somewhere every Saturday, I think, or every weekend. Do you remember that? Because you'd have been in charge of the airport then, I suppose. I came to Sandown in, in 50, and I was manager, and um, I built the airfield uh, into a respectable place, which it was very small before he made it bigger and bigger and then I thought well we must get these holiday makers here so after about uh, six seven years I brought in the um, Dakotas and the airline mm -hmm. people uh, before that of course I had to get the RDF so that I could yeah. talk to them and because of all this I had a staff but I couldn't dictate to a staff unless I knew what I was doing so I had had to go and learn all sorts of things and I had enormous number of things which were essential and this took some time but then in came these uh, aeroplanes for because the holiday makers wanted them and here they are they came from Manchester and Birmingham and Leeds and London mm -hmm. and Yeovil and all sorts of places another aspect of flying at which you were very successful Yes, that's yeah. right, and I became um, managing director, so I was rewarded for my efforts. Yes, if you've one final memory of those hard off days, you know, those hard days when everything was difficult and so on, and y you were flying around the country with these aircraft, is there one particular thing that sticks in your mind, or, or the feeling of doing that? No. You enjoy it. I like a challenge, and I'm always uh, fit for a challenge. Mm. Um, so uh, it makes me happy. Well, people these days finally they have a bucket list, what they call a bucket list. All the things that they've got to do, like jumping off the Empire State Building without a parachute and all that sort of silly <laughs> thing. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to do in your mind, were it possible? No, I, I think I've done most of the things that I um, ever thought of doing. In fact, I've done far more 
than I ever thought of doing. Mm. Far more. Mm. Including talking to me. Thank you very much indeed <laughs> for taking the time to tell me about some of your experiences. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much.